Thanks so much to Michelle Wilkins for reading the gospel today. So as you heard it read, uh, there's a lot of meaningful and important stuff going on in that gospel lesson. We'll talk about that. There's also some stuff in there that, that really is interesting but doesn't have a lot of meaning. Let's start there. Those little factoid things are always interesting. So for example, how many fish did they catch when they had the big catch of fish? Probably remember 153. Well, why do they remember 153? Is that number symbolic or something? So literally, I was reading one of the commentaries on John chapter 21. It, it spent three pages speculating on that, 10 footnotes to, to ancient Reformation era and modern sources trying to figure that all out. You know what the conclusion was? We have no idea. If it's symbolic, we don't know what the symbolism was. Maybe they just caught 153 fish. <sighs> Thanks for spending three pages on that. So that's not apparently very significant, at least to us as modern readers. How about the, the part that often fascinates people is, what's Peter doing out there naked fishing in this boat with the other disciples? Well, that's kind of a translation thing. It, it's probably a better way of casting that is, is that he's probably wearing like a fishing smock, the way fishermen do nowadays. Uh, but it's probably also a hot night and they're working hard, so he probably has nothing on underneath it. That's the naked part. And then when he sees it's Jesus, he doesn't put something on. He probably takes the smock and tucks it under his cincture so that his legs can move and he jumps in and he swims to shore because, of course, they've gone out to the deep water. So that whole little part of the episode... Uh, interesting, but not particularly significant. So you're sitting there saying, well, then what are the significant parts? The answer is charcoal, tending sheep, and love. So now let's unpack all those a little bit. Start with charcoal. When you think of charcoal, what do you think of? You go to the store, you pick up the store brands, some Kingsford, some Matchlight, whatever it is, that's, I think, what most of us think of as charcoal. In big parts of the world, it's a little different. Um, it's a business that poor people engage in. They will cut down trees, and even though the, the wood is green, they'll start burning it, and you'll see these smoky fires everywhere. And because it's green, it doesn't burn completely, but it turns into what? A form of charcoal, which they can then sell to make a living. It's a poor people's propane in so many parts of our world. And that's probably what Jesus was burning in that fire on the beach. He had gotten some charcoal, some green wood that had been charred, and it's, it's good enough to, to relight and burn to make his fire to cook the fish and the bread. Now, what else is going on in that situation, though, that makes that significant? Uh, uh, the disciples... They'd lived through the trauma of Holy Week and, and the, the spectacular entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and their spectacular failure on that Thursday evening and the horrors of the cross, but then the, the dawning good news of Easter and the resurrection. But I, I'm sure they were still struggling to figure that all out. And so they had been through all of that. And, and when we've been through hard times, traumatic times, there is a tendency, right, to say, I, I just want things to go back to normal. And so what do the disciples do? They, they were fishermen, right? So they go back to fishing. But Jesus, Jesus had taught them to fish for people. And now they're going back to normal. They're going back to fishing for fish. And how is that going for them? Like, they hadn't caught a thing, right? 
In other words, you, you can't go back to normal. It's, it's, it's always a moving target in the future. You have to go to the, the new normal, what it might be. And Jesus had taught them to fish for people. So he calls to them from shore and says, you know, I go out to the deeper water, let the nets down on the right side. And they do that, and they catch the 153 fish. And in the midst of that, Peter recognizes it's Jesus. And he jumps in and he swims to shore. And when he gets there, there is a charcoal fire. And I wonder if he immediately put that together. What's the significance of that? The significance of that is what's the only other charcoal fire in the Gospels? That's a deep trivia question. I wouldn't expect you to answer it, but I'll give you a hint that maybe will help. What's another place in the Gospels, John's Gospel specifically, um, where people are keeping warm while standing around a fire? Does that one trigger anything for you? It's that last night of Jesus' life. and He's in front of the interrogation of the chief priests and the scribes, and Peter's out in the courtyard keeping warm around what? A charcoal fire, and that's where people start asking him, You're, you sound like a Galilean. Are, are you one of his followers? You are one of his followers. And three times he denies that he even knows Jesus, and then he realizes what he's done, and he goes out and weeps bitterly all because of his denials at a charcoal fire. And so he comes to shore and there's this fire. And I wonder if in the heat of that, that night and in the warmth of that fire, if Peter suddenly felt deeply chilled. But then that moves us on to the, to the flock part of the story. So Jesus then starts to ask Peter some questions. And you'll notice he doesn't call him Peter. That's his nickname, the rock. Uh, instead, Jesus is quite formal. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter says, I do. Second time, Jesus asks the same question. You, you know I do, Jesus. And then he asks it a third time. And now I'm thinking Peter is feeling kind of chilled. And, and the scripture says that, that he's hurt. Um, because he understands why he's been asked three times, do you love me? Because he denied him three times. And, and Jesus has asked this of him very formally, Simon, son of John, do you love me? But, but Peter, you know, maybe feared Jesus doubted him, and maybe he feared that he doubted himself. Um, but he, he spoke the truth. Every time he spoke the truth, you know I love you, Jesus. And, and the cool thing is Jesus knew he spoke the truth too. And, and though Jesus pushes him a little bit, and, and Jesus has permission to push us all a little bit, he, he doesn't push him over the cliff. And in fact, uh, Jesus probably is in the process of pulling Peter back from life's cliff, back from going back to a normal that maybe never worked in the first place. And, and instead is reminding Peter of his purpose in life. Don't, don't go back to fishing for fish. Fish for people, or to switch the metaphor, feed my sheep, tend to my flock, Peter. And so this, this wonderfully unconditional love of Jesus's meets Peter where he's at and pulls him forward to who he's called to be and, and the better person that he can be. Tending the flock, it's an amazingly powerful thing. Think of, of maybe how you can tend to the flock. That's not just a, a pastor's job, that's an everybody job. Uh, I was talking to my wife, Barb, and she reminded me of, you know, so Barb's a doctor. And in our culture, doctors, you know, people think of them as educated or uh, they, they can heal people. And, and they tend to the flock in, in their own way. And that's, that's maybe all true. 
but somebody's got to tend to them as well. So she has this patient who's mostly Spanish speaking and sees her two or three times a year for a chronic condition. And the very first time he saw her, you know, they went through the whole appointment. And then at the end, he asked her what her favorite fruit was. And uh, Barb thinks she said, well, you know, whatever's in season, blueberries or peaches. And so the guy asked him, do you like mangoes? And, and Barb said, oh, I love mangoes. But, and then she went on to complain about mangoes. You know, they can, they can be hard or they can be stringy or they're, they're not sweet or they're not juicy. And, and, and he just nodded to all off. So he's been seeing her for years ever since. What does he bring her every time he comes to see her? He brings her mangoes. Not a lot, like three mangoes. But the thing about these mangoes is they are the best mangoes ever. They are firm and yet a little soft. They're not stringy. They're juicy. They're incredibly sweet. They're, they're just perfect. They're such good mangoes. It's his way of caring for her, of tending to the flock, even as the flock tends to him. Um, what a great gift um, by both of them to each other. This is the best of life, what life can be, that we tend to each other. And of course we do it in love, something which is so hard to keep unconditional. So think about this, we've come through the trauma of COVID uh, all of us, I think, at some point in it thought, well, um, at least it's a chance to, to do something different with our lives or our future. But there are also these powerful forces within us that just want to go back to normal. But a lot of times when you go back to normal, you, you don't catch any fish, even though you fish for them all night. Uh, you just can't really do that. And, and so you have to change your orientation to what lies ahead. But in, in, in the case of today's gospel lesson, Jesus does point the disciples back long enough to say, remember, we already made this change. We already switched from fishing for fish to fishing for people. Get back to that. Tend to the flock, O disciples. So here at Unity, what, what will that look like as we move into the future? It, it needs to be different, right? Easter, uh, was awesome. Uh, tons of people watched online. We were kind of back to normal. Tons of people at church, great energy. It's almost like people didn't know what to do. Like, for example, we didn't have a lot of people signed up to, to usher or do a lot of the tasks. Uh, people don't know exactly how to come back. And the thing about that is, is that's maybe a, actually kind of a good instinct. I mean, we still need people. As we come back, we, we need people to do all the stuff in worship. Uh, we need a lot of people to teach our, our kids in Sunday school, and we need our Sunday school kids to be here. Uh, that part of normal is, I think, always an important part of who we should be. But, but I do kind of wonder, you know, as a congregation, we were busy in a lot of things, just like we're busy in our lives out there, and, and maybe we were too busy, and, and, and just forgetting to take care of each other, just forgetting to eat with each other, just forgetting, you know, to even get past the surface. So I, 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 one of the things I hope we'll pray about and talk about uh, this summer, uh, when, whenever summer finally actually gets here, is, is just how can we be less busy and more with each other? We have great campuses to eat together on. We have, you know, this patio and this pavilion and then the library too at Christ the King, great places to eat together. And here across the life, we've got uh, a great kitchen, a couple of fireplaces that groups can eat in front of. We have great spaces to be together. 
And maybe instead of program A, B, and C, we just have to make time uh, to break some bread together. Uh, maybe, maybe nobody would do this exactly, but maybe if you're breaking bread here sometime with, with a small group of people, you, you find out what somebody's favorite fruit is. And then every week you come to church with this pint of blueberries you want to give them because that's what they said, but they don't come one week and they don't come one week and then finally they're there and you've still got the, you got a new pack of blueberries and you just slide up next to them in the pew and you, you give them the blueberries. Um, I mean, you know, who knows, who knows what it might be, but um, if, if that happens and, and you give it to them, I, I, I hope that will be a blessing to you. And if you're the person receiving it, I'll tell you this, um, I hope you'll say to them, you remembered, you remembered I love blueberries. Thank you so much. But then, you know what I also hope you do? Don't write them a thank you note. Don't try and pay them back. Just receive the gift. Gifts are gifts. Receive it in the moment as the awesome thing it is that somebody's taking care of you. And, and don't see it as an occasion where you have to reciprocate. You can take care of other people in other ways. Receive the gift. And then this becomes our new normal. We're focused on different things. We have a little more time for each other. We take care of each other, sometimes in significant and important ways, and sometimes in kind of offbeat sort of ways. Just keep bringing somebody some mangoes. This is, I think, who we maybe need to be in the future, both the same and very different. People who perhaps are confronted every once in a while with a charcoal fire that reminds us that we are not perfect, but also with a loving Savior who calls us by name and, and just wonders, hey, do you love me? And, and, and we think about it, and then we're honest. I love you, Jesus. You know I love you. And the coolest thing about Jesus is he does. He loves us. And he's the type of Savior who sees us out there trying to go back to our old lives, and we're not catching anything. And, and he invites us to shore. And what? He's already cooked us breakfast. He's already cooked us breakfast. Because Jesus knows that when you break a little bread together, it's always an act of love on behalf of the flock. Done.